Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And on today's episode, we are talking to Dr. Uma Naidu. And Dr. Naidu is what they call a triple threat. She's a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, a professional chef, and a trained nutrition specialist. And she studies what's called nutritional psychiatry, which I had not heard of until we spoke to her. Had you heard of it, Bridget? Oh, no. It was amazing how much psychiatry and thought and how much your diet and what you eat affects what's going on in your brain or what's going on in your body, affects your mood, all kinds of different mental issues that can be helped or hindered by what you're eating. It was really amazing. So Dr. Nadu wrote a book called This Is Your Brain on Food, an indispensable guide to the surprising foods that fight depression, PTSD, ADHD, anxiety, OCD, and more. And we're going to talk to her about inflammation. We're going to talk to her about foods that can help and hurt with anxiety and depression. We're going to talk about brain fog, which we know all of us want to know more about, and how the fact that spices, like she is a big proponent of spices. Spices, I guess. Turmeric. Yeah, turmeric is a big one too. Yeah. Coming from culinary background, since she's a chef, she really knows how to put everything in place. She's not saying eat this food in lieu of medication. She's saying add this to your toolbox. Perhaps it will help you in addition to your medication, or if you're just feeling a little low or you're going through detox, this all can help. This book was so incredible and she has recipes in the back for just different types of whatever condition you might be having an issue with. She has recipes. She has things in the back to fill your pantry recommendations. I've really enjoyed this book. And also there was uh, the thing on libido. I mean, it it really was amazing. And Dr. Nadu is also the Director of Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry at Mass General. And that's the first hospital-based nutritional psychiatry service. So she's really at the forefront of this psychiatry movement. And we are going to get started talking to her. If you have any questions about the book or anything we reference, it will be available. All information will be available in our show notes at hotflasheschooltopics.com. You can just go on there, click on this website, and we will have all the show notes and the links. Make sure if you enjoyed this episode, to please please share it. And also, if you get a moment to review it, we appreciate those and it makes the algorithms really happy. But let's start our conversation on nutritional psychiatry with Dr. Uma Naidu. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today, we are going to have a really interesting conversation with Dr. Uma Naidu. Wanted to start the conversation with, could you explain what a nutritional psychiatrist is? Thanks, Colleen. Thank you both for having me. It's a great question. Um, This is a more newer field in psychiatry, which is why people haven't heard about nutritional psychiatry. And what it is, is the use of healthy whole foods and nutrients to improve your brain functioning, your brain health, 
um, along with any other form of treatment that you might be taking. So it doesn't mean that you have to give up medication or very important forms of psychotherapy that exist, but it works alongside um, these to allow people more options or more tools in their toolkit, as I like to say. Yeah, you, your book addresses so many uh, mental health issues and how the foods are related to that. And I know your first chapter, you talk about the gut-brain romance. Can you talk a little bit about what the, gr- the gut-brain romance is? I'm happy to. Uh, thank, thanks, Bridget. So, you know, I, I, I chose to use that topic for the chapter to help convey the actual message of the science behind it. You see, the gut and brain are two separate organs far apart in the body, but they arise from the exact same cells in the human embryo. And then they divide apart and they form these two organs, and then they remain connected throughout life anatomically by the vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranium nerve. I like to call it a two-way text messaging system, kind of like think of teenagers always messaging each other. Similarly, the gut and brain are always in contact, and the messaging is chemical in nature. And one of the things are the neurotransmitters and the sort of messaging around chemicals. Now, uh, you know, like with the romance are good days and bad days. So to convey that food impacts this this gut-brain ecosystem, I like to explain it as, you know, days that we're having healthier meals and we're, you know, staying um, on the healthy side of, of how we eat and choosing those salads and healthy fats and clean proteins, the it's a good day for the, for the gut-brain romance because the gut microbes, there are trillions of them down there. They interact with the food that we eat. And when we eat healthy foods, they thrive. They do well. And they are happy. So it's almost like a good food also means a good mood or less anxiety. When they thrive, the breakdown products are things like short-chain fatty acids, which are good for our gut and they're good for our brain. But as with, you know, bad days in a romance, the days that we kind of checking into the fast food lane and, and eating, you know, donuts for breakfast and, you know, candy bars throughout the day, the foods that we know are not, not our go-to healthy foods, the bad microbes in the gut thrive. And when they thrive, they cause problems. They cause more inflammation. They slowly over time start damaging the very delicate lining of the gut and ultimately lead to inflammation and things like dysbiosis or what people often call leaky gut over time. So that actually conveys that the gut-brain romance, is there's the science behind how this ecosystem works, and it guides people toward understanding, you know, generally the, cho- the choices of food we should go toward. No one is perfect. We, we, we all, uh, you know, eat a varied diet. But for the most part, I, I like people to try to think of like the 80-20 rule and, and moving towards better choices when we can. You're very specific about here is a certain mental health concern and here are some Mm -hmm. foods that might benefit along, like you said, with therapy and medication. A lot of women in our demographic suffer from anxiety and depression, whether it be menopausal related or just something Mm -hmm. that we start to have or or have struggled with. For myself, I've struggled Mm -hmm. with it my whole life. And Mm -hmm. I thought this would be a great place to start with what types of of nutrients should we be putting in our body to help ease some of that anxiety? 
Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. To to start with, you know, um, it's not surprising that anxiety is the most common condition in the United States. Um, often, uh, from even recent demographics, about three times more common than depression. But often, these conditions go together. So, someone who has some depression uh, may also have a touch of anxiety, or vice versa. So, important to understand that. One of the things you want to be careful about is not to be vigilant of the foods we may be eating, which may be driving anxiety. And one of those is the standard American diet. It's called SAD or the Western diet for a reason because it's kind of those unhealthy fried foods, a lot of the starches, uh, not the complex carbohydrates, but more the simple carbs, you know, the, um, the, the donuts, the, the candy, uh, the, the just lots of pasta without any sort of vegetables or other or fiber involved. Then there's caffeine, which, you know, there's a guidance around caffeine because coffee on its own um, has a lot of plant polyphenols, but caffeine can be very problematic for people with anxiety. The studies say that less than about 400 milligrams a day are usually tolerable. But in anxiety, I say to people, even if you have a sip and you feel jittery or uncomfortable, then it's not for you. Alcohol is another one which can actually ramp up anxiety, even though people say, you know, let me have a glass of wine to calm my nerves at the end of the day. That may be true in the moment, but unfortunately it has a rebound effect if you're using it to calm yourself down. Um, another one that we have to be worried about is gluten because it's specific to some individuals, not everyone. So with individuals with anxiety, if we be kind of struggling around a nutritional psychiatry plan and they may be not getting better, I, I do look at gluten as a short-term elimination to see if they, it may be problematic for them. And the, the big one um, is artificial sweetness, which many people don't realize. So some of the things to be wary of is say you are struggling with, um, you know, having so a lot of soda, but you move towards a diet soda. The diet soda may actually be driving your anxiety. So just be careful about the choices you make when, when, when you have these symptoms. But the good news, is there are foods you can lean into and some of them you may have heard before but you don't we don't actually realize that these are foods that impact our brain health so fiber rich foods now fiber is something that most americans don't pay attention to but fiber is your friend when you have anxiety and the foods that you'll find these in are really plant foods uh uh, uh, so vegetables, fruit, um, you know, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, healthy whole grains, you don't unfortunately find it in an animal product. So it's important to add those plant foods in because the fiber and the different diversity of plant polyphenols are critical for anxiety. Then you have the fermented foods, your, you know, uh, kombucha, miso, tempeh, fermented foods, super helpful for anxiety because they help your gut health. Um, you have uh, you can include tryptophan from things like chickpeas or even turkey, um, which are helpful uh, for for anxiety. Spices like turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, 
very helpful if you don't cook with it. Try it on roasted vegetables or add a little uh, quarter teaspoon or half a teaspoon to a soup, a smoothie, or even a tea to start trying it out. Um, things like passion flower tea, chamomile tea are very helpful. And then, you know, make sure to check with your doctor that you're not deficient in things like magnesium or certain vitamins because things like vitamin D super helpful for anxiety. If you're going to supplement magnesium, there are several different types. Which one should we right. be looking at? Magnesium bisglycinate. Uh, so um, it's one of the ones that people think about for anxiety and important to get a clean supplement if you can. You know, look at what the ingredients are. Um, it's it's uh, worth sort of spending if you are deficient and your doctor's asking you to supplement. Either they'll write you a prescription uh, to get it at the pharmacy or you can get something over the counter. But all I'm saying is to get their guidance because all Although it's important for us to get the magnesium uh, bisglycinate, it's also important to check your level and not overdo it because you need it for anxiety. You want your level to be normal, but you also don't want to tip the scale in terms of safety of things like your heart rhythm and things like that. Well, another uh, point with midlife, which I love that you, you touch on so many things that midlife women have difficulty with during during menopause. Another one is insomnia. And you have something in there about insomnia. Can you share a little bit of some of the things that might help with insomnia? You know, I always start off with the boring stuff, which is, you know, what we call sleep hygiene. And you may have heard it from a sleep doctor before, but it, you know, it's so important to not do your supermarketing late in the evening. Although, you know, when one works, sometimes that's the only time you get, or, you know, you're, you're shopping at that time, uh, because those bright lights actually overly activate your system. And so it's a, these are, these are just little tips around your sleep and circadian rhythm because, and the circadian rhythm is your internal body clock. So the thing that gets thrown off when there's a, a daylight savings time and that type of stuff. So you want to avoid those bright lights. You want to start to calm your body down early in the evening that you're getting ready to sleep. Um, shut your phone off maybe an hour before bedtime. Not be watching your favorite show at that time because those actually impact our brain and, and our ability to rest and go to sleep restfully. Um, another thing is, you know, if you... Enjoy red wine or enjoy, enjoy a glass of wine for dinner. Don't be leaning on that to help you sleep. Because if that's what you're using to help you is, you know, calm down or feel sleepy, it actually over time starts to reverse the action and disrupts your sleep architecture so it can be a problem. Um, drink coffee if you do early in the day uh, or caffeinated beverages or even some teas. But things that you can tap into are melatonin-rich foods. Um, so rather than taking a supplement, you can get melatonin from things like eggs um, and some other foods. I always say to people, uh, flip your breakfast for dinner. So, you know, make an omelet for dinner, uh, rich in melatonin, add in some veggies, and I list the different foods rich in uh, melatonin in the book. Things like chickpeas uh, can be helpful for that as well. So, uh, and, and a, a, a fruit juice uh, made from tart cherries. So, either tart cherries themselves, which you do get fresher frozen in some parts of the country, or the juices, which you actually do find in certain stores, just watch for the sugar content because you don't want added sugars, actually have been shown to help um, 
helps sleep and insomnia. So those are some things that, you know, um, not, are not usually what we talk about in relation to sleep, but I think that these are things someone can easily just tap into to, to get your, get your body ready, uh, ready for sleep. Chamomile tea, also super helpful. Um, uh, you know, like I said, the tache juice, another one is barley grass powder, a lot of natural things that you can find without having to necessarily, um, take a supplement. Um, nothing against taking a supplement, but you can always try foods first. And the last one is the omega-3 fatty acids. So, you know, things like your fatty fish, um, you know, you can add that, uh, or, or have that as a dinner as well. And, and, uh, you know, do it in a way that you are having your dinner, but you're having it early in the evening and then getting your body ready for rest. For someone who doesn't enjoy fish and they need mm-hmm. to get their omega-3s because we know that's important, what would you recommend? So um, I, you know, a lot of people either don't consume f- uh, fish or they're vegetarian and you can get, uh, there are short chain omega threes that are available from things like walnuts, hemp seeds, chia seeds. The, the conversion of the short chain ALAs are not as efficient as the types of omega threes found in seafood, but you can supplement. There's a vegan supplement, uh, called an algal oil supplement because you also get the omega threes in sea algae and seaweed. So those are things that you can actually obtain and be able to supplement your omega threes if you don't consume fish or if you are sort of if, if your philosophy is not to consume any animal or, or seafood then you wouldn't want to take an omega-3 supplement but if you just simply don't like the taste of fish you can get a pretty good quality omega-3 supplement available uh, to take to make up for the omega-3s and we're going to take a break we'll be back in a moment and we're back I have a love-hate relationship as we were talking about relationships and beginning the conversation with sugar And I think I had this aha moment when you explained that four grams of sugar equals one teaspoon. I've never thought about it in those terms. Can you talk about sugar and its relationship to our mental health and our physical health as well? So thank you for asking that question, uh, because I think many of us in the U.S. are confused by food labels, and that's why I teach this to as many people as I can, because we cook all our recipes. If you ever opened a, a book published in the U.S., all our recipes are written in, in um, pounds and ounces um, and teaspoons, but our or tablespoons, but our, our food labels are in grams. So people don't really understand how many grams that is. So four grams is one teaspoon of sugar. It's a guideline. So if you look at, say, a fruited yogurt, people hear me say that if you eat dairy, a probiotic-rich plain yogurt is great, but they hear blueberries, they hear yogurt, and they think fruited yogurt. It's not a it's not a bad choice. The problem is it has a ton of added sugars. It can be up to eight teaspoons in a half a cup. But if you know that conversion, you know to divide the number of grams of sugar or added sugars. Um, unfortunately, sugar doesn't just affect our waistline or impact us in terms of a family history of type two diabetes. It affects our brain, and over time, um, studies have even shown that you can get shrinking of neurons. You can it can affect your cognitive health. It really affects the functioning because one of the things that sugar does is it causes inflammation in our body, starting in the gut, which then, you know, 
because the gut and brain are connected, impacts the brain over time. But here's the thing. There is hope for us, right, because the power is at the end of our fork. So, you know, something in the U.S., so many of our foods have high fructose corn syrup. So many of our foods are sweetened. If you've ever had relatives or friends from overseas, they'll often say our food is sweet. And if you've ever had that experience, even the savory food. So things like uh, salad dressings, our um, store-bought pasta sauces, um, ketchup, all actually contain sugar. They're now healthier versions that will actually be labeled as uh, their sugar and things like that. But you're often consuming sugar when you don't realize it which set up our taste buds for these cravings. And the moment that, you know, if you've ever had a box of chocolates at home, someone gifted it to you and you think, well, I'll open it on my birthday. And then when you have the one chocolate, you want two more. And then the cycle starts. It's because the sugar taps into our cravings. So, you know, trying to find ways to manage that over time become important. It's not easy. It's, it's, it's not easy for, for, for people to do it, but finding healthy replacements is one way to do it. Each chapter of your book, you have a great uh, cheat sheet in the back for every chapter, for every issue that you address in the book. And, and it comes up, um, it seems like, that the Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet seem to be two that really help with different issues. Can you talk about the Mediterranean and the DASH diet and why those are better choices? The Mediterranean diet, um, you know, is rich in plant foods, fiber, healthy fats like olive oil, avocado, legumes like chickpeas and lentils, um, you know, as poultry, as seafood, which we need. Um, and so it, it, it really taps into a very, something that we, we want people to be eating those those plant-rich foods, the different colors, the different textures. All of that actually helps our gut. The 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 plant chemicals, the plant polyphenols in these different bright-colored vegetables actually interact with the gut microbes and make for a positive effect. So they become important. The Dash diet was was originally designed to help hypertension, but again, it has healthy foods in it. Now. The way I like to think about it is not everyone eats the same thing. So someone from a different culture may not really eat the same foods as in the Mediterranean region. But how do you take the principles of that and adapt it to whoever's in front of you? Um, For my Asian patients, I will talk about a Mediterranean um, uh, diet. And I'll talk about, you know, veggies like bok choy, uh, green leafy vegetables that you can find in the supermarket, but something that he or she may be more familiar with cooking. I'll bring in uh, chickpeas and how to use that, not just in hummus, but in, say, an Indian curry, so that someone who who is from that culture understands it. But I think for the the basic premise and message of it is healthy whole foods, you know, uh, eat the orange, skip the store-bought oranges. And that's really what those, if you think about it, that's really what those diets are trying to teach us. Um, staying away from the processed, ultra-processed foods, those added uh, sugars, the uh, fried foods, the, the wrong types of fats, the fats that are, you know, hydrogenated or the trans fats. This is really the, the, the principle that these diets are talking about. They, they are f- focusing us on the healthy versions of foods and 
you don't see processed snacks in those diets. You don't see a bag of chips, even if it's a you know, low-fat something or sugar-free, neither of which are healthy, but you just see whole foods as your choices. This Western diet that yeah. so many of us are, were raised on, It's yes. what, what advice would you give to someone that really wants to make those changes? And like you said, mm. cravings are so difficult to deal with. Mm. Is Are there any mm. small steps you can start to mm. become healthier? I, of course. So I think it's, firstly, you know, it's a challenge for any one of us. So, so let's, let's just start there. But yes, there's some tips. So what I ask people to do is tell me what your, your biggest issue is right now. And if it is eating those chocolates at night or the ice cream, then start with, can I create a small kitchen hack, culinary hack that can make that easier for me? So for people who say have to have ice cream every single night, I have a recipe in my book for banana ice cream made from from bananas. You can make a chocolate flavor with a uh, with either dark chocolate or a, uh, a cacao powder. Actually, both of those ingredients are good for your brain. So it's a healthy option that you know I don't want you to eat the whole bowl of it, but it's it it helps you switch from that processed ice cream every night to a healthier version. You know, I tell people to sometimes uh, get frozen blueberries. Uh, frozen wild blueberries have twice the amount of antioxidants, um, or even if they buy some grapes, freeze them, because it's kind of a nice little thing to pop in your mouth, pick a few, and it, the sweet taste kind of helps you with the natural flavor of fruit just to get over that craving for the candy bar or something you're looking for. If it's if it's something else, like a salty snack, so you have to have, you know, movie movie theater butter uh, popcorn every day, or you have to have a bag of salty chips. Everyone has a different craving, right? For that, I'll teach people a simple recipe. You can do it literally in an air fryer, toaster oven, or your oven. Make a whole sheet tray for your family, a sheet pan of uh, kale or spinach, fresh fresh from the supermarket, drizzle some uh, avocado oil and some spices you like or some flavorings and crisp them up. You can grate on a little bit of Parmesan cheese on it if you if you consume cheese. There are even uh, non-dairy versions now. And make it a crunchy snack. Bake it and eat it hot with your family because that will take off that edge for that crunchy, salty snack you're looking for. Um, having on hand, being prepared is also part of it. You know, if we walk into our kitchen and we have cookies and we have donuts and we have candy bars and we have uh, processed snacks and juices and things that if you're hungry or you're working from home or you're on a podcast, you're going to reach for a snack straight after. If If you don't have something that is a better version, you know, and a little bit of a step away from the standard American diet, then those are the choices you're going to go for. You're going to eat the cookie. So I think environment is very important. So another step besides identifying your biggest issue and starting there, so small step, but make, making that one change at a time. Another is environment, switching out you know, having a bowl of fruit, having a bowl of clementines on the table, having, you know, um, blueberries in the fridge, having lots of healthy nuts and seeds around because they're satiating, they're healthy fats, and you just have, you know, a little quarter cup of some almonds, and that can actually help you get over those hunger pangs. You know, an apple, 
uh, just an apple with some nuts is another way. So if you have those choices in front of you, I, I know this for myself, weeks that I'm so busy, I don't get to uh, do my supermarketing or, you know, just return from a trip. If I don't, if I don't have something healthy in my kitchen, guess what? I either order something that's quick and it's just not the best choice for me. And I know that, but so, so planning becomes so, so important, but small steps and realizing it's a marathon and not a sprint, having grace with yourself because it's not easy for us and doing it slowly, doing it, doing it in a way that you can achieve your goal and achieve that habit change over time. I feel like you've been in my kitchen with the what not, <laughs> it's not what not to wear. It's like what not to eat. It's just which, my entire Which kitchen. you have in her book. She has the pantry, like, you know, how to stock your, it's great in the back, a great index. On you what do just, have so much information. So much information. Yes. And, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Meant to be flexible and meant to be attainable for people. You know, an egg scramble. If you consume eggs, you can make them in a mug. If you're rushing to work, you can make them at work if you, if you need to. It's just meant to make it easy for someone to have an actual food versus a processed version of it. Meal prepping helps a lot of people too, if you spend Sunday meal prepping. But another thing that you talk about, which I think is really important, is that you should pay attention to your body intelligence. And when you eat something, make note of how you feel maybe an hour or two after. Can you talk about that as part of it as well? I find, you know, this is a pillar of nutritional psychiatry, and I find, Colleen, that many people will tell me about feeling uh, very foggy in the afternoon, needing an extra cup of coffee, uh, feeling like they have to have chocolate to perk them up, or go to the vending machine. They don't associate it with what they just had for lunch, what they've been eating for breakfast, or even the past few days. But when I ask them, they start to make that connection. The best way to explain body intelligence is if you're having, you know, if you you you're feeling foggy, you're feeling like I can't focus on my work today. I'm I'm, you know, I'm feeling jittery. I, I just can't settle down or I can't focus. Or I'm super tired and it's in the afternoon. And I need to take a nap today. Um, ask yourself as one of the things. It's not the only thing. There may be something more going on which you should have checked. But ask yourself what you ate because if you're having a um, simple carb laden lunch, you know, something that's very processed or a, a sandwich with sliced bread, nothing wrong with it. But it may be that those foods are really kind of um, causing you to be fatigued, causing, causing you to have less energy because they are not that high in fiber. Um, they don't have those nutrients that our body needs. So body intelligence is asking yourself when you have um, a, a response, a reaction, a, a feeling, um, also ask yourself, in addition to the emotional stuff, ask yourself what you ate because it could be related to having sugary breakfast and you have it in the morning, you have your cereal and you get to work or you go to your desk at home. The next thing you're like, oh, I wish I could get the donut that's on the kitchen counter because I'm not really satiated from my my cereal. And by the afternoon, you know, by the time it's 11 o'clock, you're ravenous, you're ready for lunch because your body actually hasn't gotten whole nutrients. It's processing these simple carbs very quickly. Then you have that high and, and then you get the sugar crash. So your body is starving of actual nutrients. Then you gobble down something for lunch. 
Um, and by the afternoon, you, you, you're tired. You, you, you don't have the energy to fuel your body. So just, just tweaking one thing, um, making an exchange of a healthier option, um, you know, makes, makes a difference to being able to identify that and then making, making it an easy swap. I think one of the questions that our listeners are very curious about is the brain fog. And I know you talk mm-hmm. about some tips for helping brain fog, which a lot of mm-hmm. women, including myself, we struggle with, mm-hmm. whether it's menopause or just aging. And mm-hmm. you have some great tips, whether it be like fresh peppermint and things like that. Can you talk about mm-hmm. brain fog? Yeah, you know, it's become, um, I almost feel like with the last few years, we're living through some sort of a haze cognitively like people are speaking to me all the time about not being able to focus just not being able to be as productive as they were um not able to get their work done in the way that they were and a lot of it actually comes down to brain fog now some people who have um, survived a covid infection that could be part of long haul syndrome or some of the after aftermath of the actual infection um but it also could be our diet just how we're eating um it could be inflammation producing foods that are causing this but there's some tips some of my favorite it is an antioxidant called luteolin and there are certain foods that are rich in luteolin and i suggest kind of bumping up these foods to help offset the brain fog so so in addition to what we talked about earlier which is kind of cleaning up your diet moving towards you know um, more whole foods and less processed ultra processed foods a great one is fresh peppermint make yourself a cup of fresh peppermint tea that's a great pick me up. Um, Another tea that's actually more energizing um, is green tea. It has EGCG and L-theanine also, which which really help people perk up. In fact, I suggest that to a lot of people as an early afternoon beverage rather than coffee. Um, Other foods are hot and sweet red peppers, celery seeds, parsley, artichokes, um, you know, dried Mexican oregano, spice. These foods actually all contain luteal, and I have a list in the book. So start to include those maybe in a salad that you're having for lunch or a few of them um, into a snack that you're having, Um, you know, even having those little sweet peppers as an afternoon snack is a good idea. You know, just something that is constantly feeding your body with nutrients that will be able to help you. And another thing that midlife women um, that addresses something a lot of midlife women talk about is libido. And you have a thing in there about things that can help with libido. Can you share some of those with us? Of course. So, you know, with, with perimenopause and menopause, there may be, may be many changes that your body is going through. So some of them are physiological and hormonal, and those may need to be addressed in, in many different ways. But people often overlook food as something you can also lean on. Remember, it's that additional tool in your toolkit that you may not have realized you have. So there are foods that actually boost oxytocin, which often people call the hugging hormone. One of them you'll love is dark chocolate. So, you know, it's not the 
not the dark chocolate candy bars, but it is that dark natural chocolate. Um, magnesium rich foods, things like avocado, um, and then, you know, um, a little bit of coffee, uh, nuts like pistachios, almonds, and walnuts, adding those to your diet, apples, pomegranates, um, onions, uh, and some herbs like, like saffron or fenugreek. Fenugreek is often used in, you know, more, um, hearty, hearty Middle Eastern dishes, but it certainly is something to, to think about. You know, I, 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 I'd like to do things like suggest to people having, you know, polyphenol rich strawberries and dipping them in dark chocolate and, um, you know, having those, it almost making a, um, a smorgasbord of these foods or that, that actually will help you over time to include the, include them as snacks. Um, and, and, you know, that will, will, will help you with libido. It was very important because some individuals who take psychiatric medication, some of the side effects, uh, lessen and lower libido. So it was just important to address this and some things to be aware of, uh, uh some of the uh, nonstick cookware that we use contains something called PFOA. And so just switching to stainless steel cookware or even cast iron cookware, you know, becomes even an important, and I have that in chapter 11 of the book, just important tweaks to your overall kind of, like I said, you know, you look at your environment and you maybe think of time over time to clean out the cookie cabinet. Um, in a similar way, look at your pots and pans. And that's why I describe, you know, my favorite cookware. And, you know, some of these are, are more pricey. So even if you get one that you start with, it's, it's a way to start moving from the very well advertised and marketed nonstick types that contain these uh, harmful uh, harmful things. Now, some of the some of the newer brands are paying attention to things like PFOA and those chemicals. So, you know, there, there are more choices now. Your book is so thorough, and we recommend that our listeners get this is your brain on food. Dr. Naidu, thank you so much. I know you're very busy, so we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and our listeners. And so many suggestions in the book, especially spices, which I don't think people really take advantage of, but you go in depth about some great spices. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Colleen and Bridget. It was really lovely to talk to you both, and I hope we can catch up again soon. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation, and I know Bridget did as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Naidu, for being on the forefront of nutritional psychiatry, because we truly believe that every tool that we can use in our mental health toolkit is beneficial. And we want to make sure we get this information out to our listeners. So again, if you have any questions, make sure to check out our website, hotflashescooltopics.com. The show notes will be located there and make sure you are following us on all forms of social media. We have some big news coming your way. So you do not want to miss our Instagram page and our Facebook and all that stuff. And have a great week, guys. Bye.